so we can cut this bit out but i did put james are you like familiar with um molly weasley from harry potter are you any good at impressions i'm not doing impressions i know who she is <laughs> okay you can just skip that bit all right are y'all ready for me to kick it hail and welcome to circle talk a podcast for seekers initiates and the curious by four alexandrian witches with endless different opinions we are your host Hi, I'm G, a high priestess and coven leader from the New England area of the US. Hi, I'm Peter, a high priest and coven leader from South Wales. Hi, I'm Josie, a high priestess and coven leader near Melbourne, Australia. And I'm James, a high priest and coven leader from just outside New Orleans, Louisiana. And we are a podcast where we talk about Alexandrian witchcraft and explore differing opinions on how the Alexandrian tradition is practiced in various covens around the globe. Listeners are reminded that while we are all initiates of the Alexandrian tradition, we only speak for ourselves and not for the tradition as a whole, because that is an impossible thing to do. This is episode one of season three, so welcome. If this is your first episode, also welcome. You may want to take a moment to pause this and go back to listen to our introductory episodes, episode zero, introductions, and episode one, definitions, or check them out after you enjoy this one. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about covens, uh, coveners, leadership, learning. Uh, I know we've talked about some of these in past episodes. Uh, season one, episode six and seven, we did why covens, part one and two. Uh, season one, episode 11, coven hierarchy. So we're going to try not to repeat all of that information too much, but if it's directly relevant or in context, forgive us for the overlap. If not, feel free to go give those a listen as well. Um, with that said, um, before we dig into that, we wanted to start off with a quote from Kate West, The Real Witch's Coven, wherein Kate writes, So, you want to start a coven? I did a straw poll of a number of high priestesses and high priests, and they all made the same comment. Don't do it. This is because running a coven is a lot of hard work and can be a lot of worry. On the other hand, it is also hugely rewarding. You get to watch the progress of newcomers, see their personal and spiritual development, and ultimately see some of them go on to form their own covens. It is a joy when the group comes together to perform rituals with depth and meaning, and to work magic which is powerful and effective. There's little which compares with the glow of pride and satisfaction you get when the coven is all pulling together. When it grows and you see the craft continue on in a meaningful way. So with that, uh, we'll be talking about starting a coven, membership, attracting members, teaching, learning, and a whole lot more. So all right, high five, get on the broom, and let's go witches. So how do we start a coven? That's, that's probably the first thing up is um, that process. Got to have a coven to, to join one. How do you start it? Who's allowed, etc. So I think right off, it is usual within at least the Gardnerian and Alexandrian tradition that the very minimum requirement for starting a coven is a second degree. Some covens might say you're fully autonomous at second degree. Some covens might give full autonomy at third. And I think that's where coven, coven autonomy comes in, doesn't it? Where the leadership, the already high priest and high priestess will say yeah you know you can you've got second 
you can now go off and run your own coven under our lead, like under our helpful leadership. Uh, whereas others might say, yeah, your second, you can kind of go off and do what you want. We're going to step back. We're here if you need us kind of thing, which I think gives you that that freedom as as a new second or a new third, but can also be really daunting. You know, the coven that I was a member of for a number of years, I kind of fell into the into the leadership of high priest after I had my second uh, because well, we, we didn't really have one. And I was the only male that was available at the time that was of the correct grade, the correct degree. And, you know, I've, I've, done, I've done leadership in, in my role as a teacher. And there were a lot of skills that I found transferable from kind of like my work in professional life to my, to my coven life. I was really fortunate in, in that respect. But, um, but yeah, coming back to it, like you've got to be at least a second, a second degree initiate. I think um, this is one of those spaces where it's worth making a quick note about the difference between traditional Wicca and perhaps a more eclectic system of, of Wicca or witchcraft. I often see in spaces people talking about, hey, I'm starting a coven, like who wants to join? And I often wonder about what kind of qualifications that person has to be to be starting or leading a group of people. I don't want to sound too gatekeepy or whatever the kids say these days, but I do think if if somebody's taking a leadership role in a coven, which is almost always ends up being a sort of a hierarchical structure, and Starhawk talks about this in one of her books as well, then I would expect that person to have a certain amount of knowledge, experience, to have been in a coven before so that they have a sense of how covens run, of of what makes sense in terms of um, the structure of meetings or of rituals. You know, if somebody just wants to have like an egalitarian book club or like study group, I think that's different than a coven. I feel like I might have said that before in a previous episode, but you know, when we talk about more eclectic crafts, you know, what are your qualifications? Why do you want to run a coven? What do you think you have to offer in terms of leadership skills? Uh, if you truly think that you're going to have a fully egalitarian coven, what is your plan for setting up a structure if things aren't working, if somebody's bringing a lot of drama or problems to the coven, if there ends up being like a fight within the coven, if you are collecting money for stuff like candles and money goes missing, like what is the plan for all the logistics there, right? So I think a real, at the very least, if you don't have the practical knowledge, in which case I have I have questions and concerns, you definitely have to have leadership skills and logistical skills, which is why I think you have so many people who are teachers end up running covens because we do have, like that's sort of what we do all day, every day. I think also, and we have touched on this in the past in another kind of way, but with those people who aren't like within a specific tradition who want to start a coven, it's also worth thinking about like what is a coven to you? Because in traditional Wicca, a coven is a very specific thing and it has a specific purpose. But in some eclectic spaces, a coven might be a group of friends who meet up for coffees and just hang out and do witchy stuff and feel witchy together. Um, it might be a book club. It might be something different. And one of the things, and I guess we'll talk about this when we talk about attracting members as well, but 
one of the common things that I've experienced is that people often have very differing ideas of what a coven is to what you're actually offering. And it's important to get that into context first, I think. So I know we've previously discussed uh, horror hierarchy and de- degrees and kind of what all that means, but we tie pretty heavy the relationship between leadership and running a coven to the degrees fairly heavily in that so a first degree you're you're initiated you you're beginning the path of learning your craft it doesn't necessarily mean you have learned it really well um, but then there's first degrees who have they've been doing it for a long time but in general first degree is kind of focused on you and your craft um, and the second degree is someone who has learned it and has begun to expand their leadership role to be able to transmit and teach our practice to others. And a third degree is someone who's proven they can do it. And there's a lot of other esoteric stuff in symbolism that can go with the degrees, but that's the basis we work off of. And there are, there are different, I guess, terms for covens that I, I encounter, like because there's there's a coven, but then there's a maiden coven. So a maiden coven's a coven run by someone who's not a third degree. Um, with the way I learned it, and y'all may have learned different terms. And I've also seen different approaches to where maiden covens may or may not have the, a local third degree. Although there is a third degree somewhere who sponsors that second in their, their coven work. And that's all from a, a BTW Alexandrian a, approach. So um, I don't know if any of y'all have different definitions on any of that. Yeah, I've, I've come across the, the term maiden coven. It's not something that, that we really subscribe to is, is like the wrong phrase, but it, but it like, you know, we, if you're a second degree and you show that you want to start running your own coven. We, we just kind of term it as that. We, we don't call it a maiden coven. I like it. I've also heard the word grove get thrown around in, in mm. gardenarian spaces, but those are the gardenarian kind of use of the term. That's also very much tied up with out of court kind of stuff as well. Yeah, somebody said the word grove to me. I think of um, I think of the druids. I think I think that they were more like more more druidy than Alexandrian or or gardenarian, but I think it's very much a U.S. gardenarian okay. <laughs> ism. Um, but I've, I've encountered it. Um, so what do we need? If, if you're qualified, you're the appropriate degree within whatever tradition you're practicing in to start a coven, what do you need to be able to start it other than know-how? So I think, so we separate up the degrees. And I know that some covens out there, oh, I would say quite a few covens out there give second and third together. We don't give second and third together, which means that you've got three separate degrees. and if you're a current that gives second and third together, I would imagine that there is a longer, like a longer waiting p a quotes waiting period between first and second and third. But for us, because we separate the degrees out, it's not just a case of right. You add your your second uh, degree elevation last night, and then tomorrow you're out on your own. Like there's there's more work to be done just because you've been elevated to the second degree. Yes, okay, you I suppose you have the requisite knowledge of 
the first degree initiation and the second degree elevation. But there's also a lot of work in between second and, and third that happens with us in our coven. So it's not, like I say, it's not as if you get your second, boom, you're ready to run your own coven. Because realistically, you've only just, for us, you've only just come out of first. You know, just because you've got the second degree doesn't mean that you've done all of the work and the inner work and the the further work that is required of you for for leadership and leading a coven. So I would say maybe maybe like halfway in between, maybe three quarters of the way towards third is when we would be looking at having a discussion if if the new second degree doesn't already bring it up. You know, it could be something that they're working towards their third, they get halfway through three quarters and they start thinking, yeah, I want to I wanna start my own coven. How do I go about that kind of thing? So yeah, the knowledge is is really important and it's not just it's not just getting better at the basics. It's not just honing even better the basics of, of your craft, but it's all it's also for me about taking a more uh, active role in the in the wider initiate community. You know whether that's organizing rituals, whether that's going to other initiate events, whether that's guesting with other covens to see how other covens do things as well. You know we also like our second degrees to start specializing in some sort of healer modality or or divination or something, something that they can really get their teeth into, almost like a personal project that they can deepen that and then they pass that on as well to their initiates. Oh, I was just going to talk about the more practical side of things. Like, do you actually have time for this is one big consideration. Do you have the space as well is another Um my first thought when James said, what do you need? I thought a big lounge room um, was where I was. A, a sturdy table. <laughs> <laughs> now people are going to be listening and thinking, what, what are they doing with the tables? And we're like, <laughs> fourth degree secret. <laughs> but no, they like they are really good points because if you want to start a coven, <clears throat> it's probably going to be in your house, you know, unless you've got like, a really big coven kitty and you can you can hire out a hall for those of you that that are listening are thinking a kitty like a cat a feline no a, a kitty is like a pot of money which people might just put in the odd pound penny dollar whatever petty um, cash petty petty cash petty cash yes so yeah it's probably going to be in your house do you have do you have enough space you know most of us will have to push furniture outwards you know you always end up if you've got a small room you always end up casting the circle through the sofa you know the tv's there as well and everything so yeah like space space is a big thing you know time is a big thing do you have most of us you know probably all of us lead really busy lives anyway with full-time jobs and then add coven on top of that and you're left with a very very small amount of like personal free time to yourself. So following up on that, um, with the working full time, et cetera thing, I'm going to say you kind of have a calling for it. Um, I know there are many individuals in the community who will say you have to have a vocation for it, but I don't particularly like that term from a religious study standpoint because for it to be your vocation, you have to make your living off of it. And so one of the, I don't know, primary things that you get when you look at 
the majority of contemporary paganism to include the Wicca is that it's avocational in that we aren't making our living off of it. You're, you may be a priest or a priestess, but it's, it's due to a calling and you have to do it above and beyond and work past the day job because you're not, you're not making a living off of it. It's almost pretty much impossible considering so much of it's taboo to charge for training. You don't sell the craft. So other than writing some books, and I'm sure Josie can attest to that that would be a whole lot of books to make your entire living off of. It's, it's a calling, not a vocation. I would add to that that you really need a sense of like motivation or why. Um, if you're leaving your, your parent coven under good terms, I think a sense of what is it that you wanted to do differently or like what is your goal for your coven? What is your purpose or I don't know, the, the drive, like the, the manifest. Objectives. Thank you. Objective, I guess, of your coven, right? Or if it's just that you're moving to a new area, you know, what is it that you want your coven to look like? What is it that you want it to be? I mean, this is kind of more amorphous than a plan, which I think we're going to talk about later, but it's more like, what is your philosophy behind the purpose of your coven and the direction that you're going to be leading your coven? Because it's not easy, which we'll talk about later. And if you don't have a strong motivation behind what you're doing, um, if you don't have a, a real plan or direction in mind, I think it would be very easy to feel when hardship arises. Uh, it'd be very easy to sort of slip slip off of it or, or to fall, fall away from it. Yeah, like no one is, to like speak to James's point, no one is getting rich off off the craft. You know, no one is getting rich off the craft. And if if you're if you're selling initiatory wicker and making a profit, then you know, no words, I suppose. If you're you know, if if you're hiring out a hall for the coven use, then obviously that that's probably gonna involve some sort of money exchange. And if you have that kitty in place, you know, there's there's always going to be um, consumables. There's all, you know, somebody's always going to need to bring candles. Somebody's paid for those candles. Somebody's always going to need to bring incense. Somebody's paid for that incense. You know, if you're making a profit, then that's a big no-no. But if you're asking for contributions or donations, whether that's wine, food, money, you know, in the way of petty cash, there always needs to be that some sort of exchange, I think. But you know, charging for the craft, charging for initiatory craft is something that we just we just don't do. It just it goes against everything that we believe in. All right. So I really like um, whomever came up with this next question. So does everything need to be in place already? I think it depends where I think it depends on where you're starting from. If you're from a from a, a long line of covens that that has been taught similar ways of doing all the same things then you might you might get a lot of information from your upline you might you might get less you know air quotes lesson plans and handouts and stuff but if if you're not from a very long established line of covens then you might have to start almost from kind of scratch from the basics and then I suppose again that's quite freeing because you can then really think right where do I want to take this coven you know, do we want to specialize in healing? Do we want to specialize in divination? Do we just want to turn out well-rounded 
effective practitioners of witchcraft and magic and Wicca. And a seeker asked us this question a couple of months ago. And I was like, huh, I've never really sat down and thought about, you know, do we have that kind of goal? And I think my answer was, at the moment, we don't have one specific thing that that we are known for, air quotes, in the community, in the in the wider initiate space. But what I'm really passionate about is making sure that the initiates that we do train, that they're trained well, so that when they go off to other initiate spaces or they guess with other covens, they can stand on their own two feet and they can get involved in wider discussions. They're not just sat there passive, just listening. They can stand on their own two feet. I think some things do need to be in place. If you're going to start a coven, but you have nowhere for that coven to meet, that's that's a real logistical issue that needs a quick resolution. If you don't have you know, a strong table yet, then maybe that is not something you need immediately. You know, you have some time to look at yard sales. And in the meantime, you can start, you know, putting your name out there for seekers to find you. In some ways, I think, you know, go ahead and make a plan, like make a rough outline for yourself, but understand that that's all going to be like within the first year or so, a whole lot of that is going to be steamrolled over. You're going to be like, oh, like none of that works (laughs) at all. Or I need something totally different. Or that was stupid. (laughs) Like, I don't know why I thought that was worth, like, that was a thing to be serious about. Like, actually, it's not that important to me. So, I mean, like, yes, you know, you can put things in place. But I think that the realistically, like with anything, you have to be careful what you cling to. Like, if you're making a plan, be very careful about how strongly you feel about it. You know, have enough, have enough for an altar have enough, you know, that when it comes time to do initiations, you have everything in place to do those initiations, right? It's, it would be awful to not be able to initiate somebody just because you're missing. Um, You don't have a priest like ready to hire, for example, not, not literally hire, but we say rent a priest, right? You don't have a priest, uh, a kin who can come and help with the initiation or something like that. But, you know, if you are like, I'm really not a hundred percent sure what my reading list is for, people after initiation, like I would go ahead and not worry too much about that just yet, throw something together and then see, you know, see what comes up. Yeah, don't get too bogged down in the planning, I think is a good takeaway there. Like it's it's good to have a plan, but the plans will, as you say, change and they will change drastically. Um, My idea of a coven when I was like a 15-year-old baby witch reading um, Silver Ravenwolf is very different to what my idea of a coven is now. But even in the last few years, um, this has changed depending on like who has been in my coven, what the goals have been and, and what has been important. I think getting too stuck in that planning phase can really slow you down and you can get really bogged down and stuck and it can cause you to spin your wheels a little bit and you can get stagnant very quickly. So I think you need, like you said, some things. Um, to me, it's almost preferable that you have the minimum prepared. And I say that because the way I approach coven building is through collaboration of the membership. And so a lot of the the questions on how are we going to do blank? How is this going to happen? What approach do we take with this? That's going to depend on the membership that comes to the door. And as it grows and those decisions are made, 
amongst the group. And my job there as the leader isn't to hammer home the answer at the beginning, but to help guide through experience that course of decision making. Because you're founding a new coven with new people, with new with different backgrounds in a place that is different than where you've worked with before. And so the way the coven will come together, it's going to have to be its own unique, organic thing. That's my approach. It's very much um, like writing. There's people who just shoot from the hip. There's people who plot everything out. And there's people who plot out some of it. And then you shoot from the hip in between. I, I kind of like the, the middle road where you, I kind of have an idea of the general outline of how I want things to be plotted. But I can't figure it all out ahead of time, and I'm not going to shoot from the hip because there needs to be some structure in place. There needs to be a vessel in which we fill with the inspiration of the coven. I think it was Thorn Mooney that said, if you're starting out with a new coven, if you were the person starting a new coven and it's, and it's just you, a smaller coven might actually move quicker because it needs to, it needs to get everything in place kind of thing you know if we're thinking of the bare minimum that could be a high priestess a high priest and a covenant but if if you hive and other coven members from that current coven go with you you might not have to work as quickly moving forward because the coveners that come along with you will have probably already been working in the coven for quite a quite a while and they will already know you know the very basics of of initiatory witchcraft, initiatory wicca. But I want to say it was it was in her uh, seekers book. I think if I can, I'll try and try and dig it out and put it in the put a reference in it in the show notes. So as a religion of initiates, converts, you know you're not born into the priesthood. It means there has to be new membership for it to grow or to continue as memberships, move on, die, etc. So how do we do that? How do we attract new members? I think one of the things that's really tricky and is important for seekers to know is that there's a, a social stigma in traditional Wicca of advertising your coven or like doing, not advertising necessarily, but recruitment, right? We don't recruit people. We don't proselytize. And I think it's real tricky because when you are trying to start a coven and you would really like people to join your coven, you have to sort of find this happy middle ground of like putting your name out there so that people are aware that you exist, but not recruiting or proselytizing, like not being so active in putting your name out there that it feels kind of like you're trying to pull people into you, if that makes sense. It's a real weird fine line that I think we have to walk and it's kind of unique to traditional Wiccan. It just comes along with that idea of everybody who comes to this should be really free and uh, making a very open, informed choice. So, you know, as a seeker, I think that's important to know, right? If you're like, I'm really having a hard time finding covens, like we're not trying to hide from you. It's not on purpose. It's just that in, in the community, we try very hard to not pull people in but instead to just sort of be there as an option that's available and so there are lots of different ways I think that people can advertise themselves we've talked about the Facebook groups a number of times we've talked about the the um discord 
uh, there's a Reddit, a coven, a coven list Reddit. Um, people, of course, are not vouched on that, but you can look. There's a uh, Mandragora Magica. Like, we'll put all those links in our notes again. Um, but there are other places, too. Like, I have not yet done this for my coven, but people do put, like, a little business card or a note um, at the local metaphysical shop with their coven information. I don't know if you guys tried anything like that. No, we haven't put, like, business cards up or like handed them out anyway, you know, like G said just now, we're not going from door to door knocking, you know, have have you heard about our gods kind of thing, you know, when we're not into that. And it is a fine line between putting yourself out there and possibly being seen to be forcing is the wrong word, maybe like forcing the membership, forcing new coven members, you know, if, if you're old enough to remember, like when Witchbox was around, listeners, it was basically what Mandragora Magica does at the moment. Um, it closed years and years and years ago now, but Covens would list themselves on Witchbox, very similar to how Mandragora Magica does it. And like Gia said, they're not they're not necessarily vetted as well, at least with the Discord and at least with the Facebook pages, they are. You know, I, I'm I'm pretty sure that both the Alexandrian Gardnerian Seekers pages on Facebook say that because they have like so many moderators and admins of, like in different parts of the world, they will know who's on that list. Somebody can contact an admin or a mod and say, hey, are these are these guys legit? And, you know, if your coven is already listed on there or if a coven is already listed on there, then they already kind of check out. So I think it's also important for seekers to understand that whereas we're not actively advertising we may put ourselves out there you should also not expect an invitation if you find us and you initiate some kind of conversation with us don't expect at some point for us to go hey come check us out hey why don't you come by how about joining the coven none of that's going to come up it's not what we do if you're interested you have to speak up I assure you the door is open. And if it's not, we'll let you know at the beginning. We'll be like, hey, thanks for contacting us. We're not accepting members right now. However, get back to us in six months or whatever it may be. But you have to be the one who says that. Um, so I know y'all list, a lot of things were listed about putting things online, business card, at metaphysical stores. Um, my very first non-BTW Covey and I found, they put business cards in books, the bookstore. Um, I've run across people who stamped their information in the books. I'm not necessarily advocating that one, but I have run across that one. Um, but also pagans and the Wicca like to socialize. Also, we go to coffee nights, we go to meetups, we go to moots and pagan nights out, etc. It might come up in conversation that we're of the Wicca. And if it does, you found us. Um, that's an indirect way of putting ourselves out there often you'll find it is coven leaders or other group leaders who are running a lot of the public things that you'll go to as well so uh, piggybacking off of something that james said and i'm trying to think what oh in terms of like we're not going to invite you right we're not going to we're not going to we're not going to be the ones to ask you to join us you have to you have to really take the the lead on not really inviting yourself over per se, but asking, you know, 
would I be able to, to meet up with you? Would we be able to have a conversation about this? I would also encourage you to, if other resources are listed on the coven listing or are sent to you by the coven leaders, please go through them. Like look on the coven website, my coven website lists like here is our process and procedure. Or if you send me an initial email, I will say, here's, here are the steps for, you know, getting to know us if, if you think you might be interested. So it's like a very clear protocol sort of for, for getting started with us. If you find that you're thinking, oh, filling out like an initial survey is too much work, I'm going to go ahead and suggest that Coven Life might not be for you. Not that it's real fun to fill out a survey to begin and not that every coven does it, but if you're just seeing like, oh, if I have to sit down and like write answers to different questions that are kind of forced me to be introspective, and that's a thing that feels like a lot for you, I think being in a coven is going to be really brutal because that's all we do is is like sit and be introspective and like do work, right? So keep all those kinds of things in mind. What resources have covens made available? What have they given you? Are you paying attention? Covens look for people who are able to be not necessarily self-starters, but who are who are independent, who are able to function sort of independently. So if you can't even be bothered to read a website or like read the instructions or read the initial email, you're going to find that people are quite impatient with you. Coven leaders are quite impatient with you. Couldn't agree more. Um, so what happens when you've been accepted to either begin the seeking process or you're joining a coven, et cetera? You have to learn that coven's ways and or potentially the craft. So how does that happen? Who teaches? Is it all just the leadership? Is it just thirds? I know there's a variety of answers to this because the craft loves diversity. For me, you can't teach, obviously, what you don't know. So if you've just been initiated, I would say 99% of your training is going to come from your initiator, which is probably either the high priestess or the high priest. And that's not to say that as a first degree, that you won't be given the opportunity and chances to work with other initiates, other firsts, maybe. You know, if you've if you've already been working some form of witchcraft related practice before getting initiated, you might already be quite adept in some form of magic and witchcraft that you can bring to the coven and, and teach the coven at large. But I would hazard a guess that in most covens most of the teaching from from the beginning at least if you're a smaller coven is going to come from second degrees and and third degrees as well and you know that's not necessarily to say that they know all the answers but let's just put it out there if you're a new, if you're a new initiate then your high priest and your high priestess are going to know more than you you know they they'll have been working the core rituals of the wicca for Years, years and years and years and years and years. So it would it would do well for a seeker, or not a seeker, a new initiate to learn from them first. And you know, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because if you then go off to other events, other initiate only events or other kind of like training outside of the coven, that might that might be a little bit confusing for you because you might be saying, Oh, well, in the coven we do it like this, but you're telling me to do it like this. I know James has mentioned lots and lots of times in previous episodes that the coven is the vehicle of the Wicca. So therefore you learn the coven practice. And then as you as you go deeper, as you learn more, then yes, possibly in your own personal practice, you can start incorporating other elements. But 
and again, this is stolen directly from James, the coven is the vehicle, therefore we use an agreed upon system. I think I just stole all your main points, James. <laughs> no, have at it. I do love um, quoting James regularly to sound smarter, I must say. Um, I was going to just piggyback off of that with um, just revisiting something we talked about in, I think, the energy episode where what Peter was saying is this is also why we encourage people to look at the energy of a coven and make sure that it, it matches with you. Your students need to match your coven's energy or at least be willing to kind of like buy into that. And that's that's a big part of teaching too is being aware of that. So I think in formal training um, or direct training, most of the teaching is going to come from a second or third degree. And that's going to vary a little bit from coven to coven on how covens are set up. Uh, my first coven, the various second degrees would act as sponsors for a first degree. And it was part of the second degree individual's way of learning to move to a third degree. And the reason for that is because indirectly and less formally, everyone teaches. And as you teach the craft, you learn so much from your initiates that you're teaching, that they're teaching you things about it, and they don't even know they're doing it. And that's why it is so important for a second degree moving towards third to be able to teach. Um, in our current coven, it's not quite set up that way because most of us are thirds. There's a first. And so it's just not practical at the moment. Um, but that is what it is. And it's going to vary based on situation and coven and et cetera. And also on sort of the tradition of your particular line too. My first coven was very, I think it was Janet Farah who wrote about the high priestess's word being the ultimate absolute law. So my first coven was very sort of high priestess centric and she did most of the training. It was very quote unquote traditional in that way. And I've been in different groups that are run differently. They all had their advantages. But, yeah, that's also something to be aware of with who's doing the teaching is how it's done in your line. I mean, I think that that sort of drives home that point that you mentioned earlier about, like, making sure you fit in with the energy of the coven, right? Like, understand that covens are not going to change the way that they do things for you. Make sure that the philosophy of your coven leadership, the amount of hierarchy that's present within that coven, the how well structured or how well planned they are versus how sort of like loose and and like discussion based they are are all things that work for you i understand desperately wanting to be in a coven but it's a really heavy commitment and it's not a temporary commitment like it doesn't make sense to say well i'm just going to join this coven till i get first and then i'll find like another coven that works better for me that's not how if you i mean that's that's a thing that happens sometimes right that's a thing that has to happen sometimes and that's fine but if you go into it with that attitude, people are not going to have a lot of trust for you or want you in their covens. So keep all of that in mind. You know, if you're not okay with a very, with a high priestess whose word is law, then you need to find a different coven that's functioning kind of in a more, you know, I guess, democratic way. And I think it's important to point out that if you leave a coven and you seek a different coven, coven leaders talk like, if somebody leaves a coven that's near me and then they petition to join our coven, 
it's more than likely that I know that high priestess or that high priest. And you can bet that I'm going to shoot them a message and say, hey, you know, person X is saying that they've come from your coven. Is Number one, is that true? Yes, they did. Okay, can you tell me a little bit about why from your side they left? You know, it's not, you know, we don't work by by snail mail anymore. You know, everybody's on Messenger or WhatsApp or or Facebook or Discord. And as much as we like to think that, you know, the witchdom extends across countries, realistically, in the internet days, I, I suppose it kind of does. But what I'm saying is we are a small community. And because we're a small community, everybody knows everybody or somebody knows somebody who I can contact in order to say, hey, this person's come our way. I've like, like they've spoken to us. Can you give us your side? You know, because there's always two sides to a story, right? So if you do leave a coven and you're talking to a new coven and you're not maybe telling the whole truth, like that's going to come out. And when that does, the answer is going to be no, because you you weren't truthful. You know, we want people who we can have in circle, you know, with perfect love and perfect trust. But we want to have people in our coven that we can work with and that, that we trust. I want to point out that this goes for international oh, coven yeah. hopping as well, like because we're <laughs> going to check and we're going to yeah. know and we're going to think you're very silly. And there's just no reason for it. Like not having worked out with a previous coven or having to move or having to leave a coven, like for whatever reason is not a thing to lie about. It's not an automatic no from other coven leaders. Just be super honest and open about what the issues were. The more honest and open you are, the more likely a different coven is to listen to you and be willing to try working with you. If you bullshit them or place the blame entirely on other people and aren't, you know, aren't reasonable about what actually happens, then I think you're going to, you know, run into significantly more issues. But provided that you are, you know, willing to demonstrate some growth or or openness, then you're much more likely to have people who are, you know, willing to give you a shot at working in their coven. Yeah, it comes to the context as well, doesn't it? Like if I had to leave my coven because I I was I was moving or something and there was a coven near the place that I was moving to and they were they were BTW, they were initiates, you know, that would you know, that would be an okay thing for me to then go and say, Oh, you know, I'm moving into the area, I'm from this coven you know, left on good terms, I'm just moving kind of thing. So I think context is key. Context is, is a lot of it. Oh, for sure. We, we we do all talk way more than people would expect, depending on how you do the math, because controversy, there's two to four covens in Louisiana. I've spoken to the leadership, probably all of them at some point, and some regularly. So... Yeah, we're all here. Um, so with that, you got people teaching, but what do they teach? This is a difficult one, isn't it? Because like every coven is autonomous, right? But from from the the smallish number of covens that I've guessed with, practices have been very, very similar. They might have more, they might have thrown in some localized practices maybe, but the core of it is still there. And, you know, you basically you're learning the craft of, of the wicker and what's being passed down 
to you in the form of the Book of Shadows or a Book of Shadows, and then all of the oral tradition as well that goes along with that, that is what's going to be taught. That might look slightly differently from my coven to the next and from that coven to that coven, but you're always going to have that some sort of core. And we've spoken about this ad nauseum in other of our episodes on the podcast. So go and check those out. I, I just want to kind of touch upon a point that we made earlier as well. You might join a coven and they might really be into their healing. So you you learn a lot of, of healing modalities and you, you kind of get proficient at, at, at a number of them. Or it might be a coven that is really well known for their divination and all of their all of their initiates can pull out the cards, the the crystal balls, the I Ching, the the stones, the rocks, the crystals, whatever. And you might end up being proficient in a number of those. But yeah, I think I'm just rambling now because it's a really big question. What what do covens teach? Because it's so individual and so coven specific. I, I agree. I think the the short answer is you learn that coven's way of practicing the craft. Um within the boundaries of the tradition in which they are a membership of. And anything beyond that is really going to vary coven to coven to coven because we have all either developed or been involved with many different approaches to teaching the craft. And so there's no one rubber stamp. I don't know if anyone else has anything they wanted to add on that. Just that it's like teaching a dialect of Wicca. I guess you'll you'll learn Wicca from a Wiccan coven, but you'll learn it in the language of that coven. I really like that metaphor. We're, we're keeping that one. As a language teacher, I approve. <laughs> all right. So now that we've all voted, it's going in the book. All right. Having said that, what about the challenges? Now, with that, I know there are challenges. And we can all list them all day. But without it being a wine session, what do we got? Where do we start? <laughs> like running a coven is, is, is difficult. You know, you you work so hard on setting up a group aggregate, a coven aggregate, coven energy. Somebody comes in, they the aggregate will change. So you've kind of you've kind of got to rework that, you've got to remodel that. And with each new person, with each addition and with each loss as well, the coven aggregate will change. So it's it's always it's always evolving. You know, and I think one of the one of the most difficult aspects of coven work for me, I know we mentioned planning earlier, and I am I am a stickler for planning because if it's not in a plan, it doesn't get done. So I I am all for like planning everything as much as I possibly can because I like to know I like to know the variables. I like to know what what could go wrong, what am I going to put in place, what can I foresee that might go wrong, and you know all of that happens before you even step into circle. You know, you've got to do all the planning. You've got to get ritual copies out to people. You might have a sit-down discussion before the ritual. And then finally, the ritual or the Sabbath or the Esport or the celebration happens. So I think for me, one of the most difficult parts of running a coven is the fact that it impedes a lot upon your own personal time. One of my challenges personally has been the planning. Yes, for sure. Also, just coming around to the fact that, like, you need to remember that you've been doing this for a really long time and that seekers have not, and that nobody is going to be invested in this as much as you are. And that really involves a gear shift sometimes. Um, the level of commitment 
required, especially in the build up to first degree and beyond, um, is often more than people think it's going to be. And you do sometimes get seekers who come to it with that idea as a coven of a coven as a social group um, rather than a group that's there to do the work. So just getting everybody's priorities in line while managing your own expectations, I think, has been a challenge for me. Yeah, in, invariably, it, you will all become like friends and it's difficult to draw that line between friendship and learning and leadership and guiding and, and all of that kind of put together means that it is it is quite difficult. You know, I, 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 I totally get what you're saying, Josie. I think, because you know, similarly, what I was saying earlier about like, the best laid plans, right? You are going to make a lot of plans. You're going to have a lot of ideas of what things are going to look like. And they may well not survive your first seeker or your second seeker or maybe your third seeker. You know, somewhere down the line, you're going to find that you had to abandon an idea, abandon a philosophy, abandon. And that's not that's not to say that you're changing the coven just because the seeker wants you to or or but it's just because things don't survive actual practical application right implementation you find that you have miscalculated or had a philosophical error about how people work i mean and the thing is this is people right like wicca wicca is a religion of people of like humanity and have how the world works in a really mundane way and as a result, I do think like mundane issues come around. People bring problems without intending to, right? People have feelings. People, you know, without realizing are having some sort of social expectations and then are hurt about not getting what they think they wanted. You know, despite everybody's best intentions, feelings get upset. And so all of those things end up as a coven leader, not only are you trying to hold the egregore together and plan for the coven and like take the coven in a direction, but you end up managing interpersonal relationships, I think, more than you really think that you're setting out to do. Absolutely. And you're managing those interpersonal relationships while trying to keep this idea of what the coven needs to look like, um, like having that as an overlay to everything that you're doing. And this is where some of that advice, um, that is often in the books is about not building too quickly. Um, and I think I think that is really good advice and it's advice that I was given when I started out. It can be easy to have this great idea of, of this perfect coven and what it's going to look like, but you might not take into account just every single layer of every single person and personality that's going to be in there. And sometimes what your coven is and what it, what you think it needs to be might not match up and that's when you really need to stop and evaluate and and come back to managing your expectations i guess i I think y'all hit it on the head it's the challenges and the rewards both come from the fact that it's people covens are composed of people and the vehicle of the craft is a coven so you get all the challenges you get from interacting with other people only in the extreme intimate uh setting that is the spiritual delving of a coven and so you dig up all kinds of fun things that could disrupt a coven and i think a lot of overcoming that is through honest and continuous communication 
almost to the point of oversharing. And if you're not speaking up either as a leader or membership um, about what's going well, what hopes, dreams, goals, et cetera, you name it, then you're probably not going to do well. So overshare. I'm going to use the C word again. Communicate, people. It's like, oh, which one? I don't know if this is coming. Communicate something else. I think a lot about my personality and like what I want out of my coven, what kinds of relationships I hope for amongst my coven members um, that I do kind of expect a sort of social intimacy beyond the sort of intimacy that comes from being coven members who worship together. That I also expect some some friendships to form, social activities and so on. And because of that, I do think that invites more interpersonal conflict, right? I do think that invites a little bit more, um, some more difficulties, some more likelihood for hurt feelings. And I wonder about people who I know tend to run covens a lot more strictly, who are much more business, right? Um, We've talked before, I think, about how some covens have a like you don't socialize outside of the coven really like you just come and you have you have ritual and and maybe you you have feast or whatever but then people aren't really going bowling together right that's not what it's about and i wonder do they have less issues then like do they have fewer difficulties in this way or is this just the nature of of humankind if you have more of an attitude of the high priestess's word is law do you have fewer are you less likely to have interpersonal conflict? I think probably not, right? Because people are people. I think I think what you have is that you're less likely to have communication about it. I mean, I've seen I've seen people in covens when I was low, uh, uh, a younger babe in the craft, you know, I, I would watch people sort of be afraid to bring things up to coven leadership or people, um, you know, talk on the side you know, well, I wouldn't want to say anything to my coven leaders. I wouldn't want to say anything to my high priest, but I wouldn't want to say anything to my high priestess, but I don't know how to address this, but like, I'm really upset about. And so I wonder if having, you know, more of a top down approach invites more of that, or if regardless, people sort of put their coven leadership on a pedestal that we don't necessarily want to be on that keeps them from being open. And do you know what I'm saying? It's like, is there a right, is there a way to do this that has less potential for problems or is it just different problems i'm gonna go with a no and i say that because although the no socialization rule is put in place to take the interpersonal relationship aspect out so you can get straight to the craft out of crafting it doesn't change the fact we're social creatures whom every interaction is built upon interpersonal relationship and the key word there being personal it's all personal, all the time. There's there's no scapegoat of it's just business. It doesn't work. So I I think you get the same problems, regardless. Um, I will say the part about pedestals. I had a, a high priestess a long time ago that said you don't begin to learn the craft until you take your high priest or high priestess off the pedestal, but you all start there. Yeah, the 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 no socialization rule. I think in this day and age of of constant online communication is pretty difficult to enforce because we are, you know, G said it, James has said it, we are social constructs, we are social people. And I can turn around and say, 
I don't want you socializing with other people in the coven. But as soon as those people have left circle, they they can be doing whatever the hell they like, kind of thing. And and it's not really my place to say, you know, oh no, I, you know, if if you carry on, then I'm gonna kick you out of the coven, kind of thing. Because, you know, people need to talk and sometimes they need to talk things through with other first degrees if they're first degrees or other second degrees if they're second and above kind of thing you know people need to talk and sometimes they might talk something through with another confidant before going to the high priest and the high priestess and saying look can we talk about this you know and you know it, it always comes down to communication and I always try whenever I'm I'm planning a ritual or I'm I'm putting something forward I always try and keep in mind the five C's of effective communication. Be clear, be concise, be compelling, be curious, listen to what other people, listen to what your covenants are saying to you, and be compassionate as well. You know, if your covenant is bringing a problem to you, then they're bringing a problem to you because they think that you might help sort it out. So don't just like, oh, brush them off. I've had a really busy day. I can't, I can't deal with this. I can't speak about this kind of thing. You know, we're in positions of leadership and authority so therefore we need to be leaders to our to our covenants and if they come to us with a problem then yeah you know we might say okay try this try that ultimately it's you that has to do the bettering maybe but yeah communication you know for me personally is is key i always try and keep it to those like five c's and I'll, i'll link those just in case they're new to anybody to attend your TED talk on coven communication. Here. <laughs> I will make one sign, happen. Sign me up. <laughs> you all get front row seats. You get a seat and you get a seat and you get a seat. Even Oprah can join in. <laughs> yes. If she's an initiate. Oh yeah, obviously. Well, I'll do like I'll do like an oath-bound TED talk and a non-oath-bound TED talk. I'll oh, do like okay. I'll, I'll do two. Well, I'll, I'll no, do... you just do one, but we'll bleep one them out. Right? Yeah, I'll I'll do a redacted version. It'll just you know, you'll you'll see me talking, but it'll just go silent, and I'll I'll cover my mouth like this, so people can't say what I'm seeing, and I'll just uncover my mouth. <laughs> All right. So, people learning, you got a coven. It got started. Yes, there's challenges, but the coven's moving along. How do you know when? someone is ready to move in their role in the coven. Now, I don't necessarily say advance because a third degree and a first degree are both initiates. Neither is better than the other. They just have different roles. But how do you move to a new role? How do you know when someone's ready for that? I think one of the, one of the easiest answers is that they'll tell you that they feel ready and as a high priestess or a high priest, you might disagree with with them being ready. You might agree and say, yes, you know, I've been waiting for you to ask for the past two years. You've been, in my opinion, you've been ready for such a long time and I've been waiting for you because, you know, everything in Wicca is asked for. You know, if you, if you want to go up the degrees, then yes, number one, you put in the work, you show, you like demonstrate to your high priestess, your high priest, you know, the elders of the coven, that you've learned your like I'm talking I'm talking from like a first gun to a second for example you prove to them by doing the work by being in circle by you know like knowing the words I know that the words are not 
are not it. But knowing the words is 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 semi-important. And then you you have a conversation with your high priestess and your high priest, you know, or whoever's leading the coven. You say, look, I've been doing the work, you know, I feel I'm ready for, for second. And your high priestess might turn around and say, you've got a bit more to do, you know, and th- this is something that, that comes up quite often, um, I think, in like initiate spaces, you know, how do you know when somebody's ready? Well, like I just said, they'll tell you first of all, but we're not we're not saying that this is a tick list as well. It's not like bum, 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 bum. I did it once. It's off. I've ticked it off. I'm ready for the next bit. It's not just that. It's about internalizing the lessons and showing that you've internalized them and that you're progressing in your craft. So, yes, a lot of times people will, will ask or you'll, you'll see people were ready. But I really think it just comes down to have they transitioned into the function of the new role? And the recognition of that is nothing more than that. If I have a first degree who's suddenly behaving as a second degree who's ready for leadership and eager for it and wanting to take on that role, they're probably ready for second. And if I have a second degree who's running a coven and has been doing so with little to no oversight successfully, I don't need my hands in the pot anymore. It's time to move on. So that's kind of my litmus test on that is, are they doing the work of that new role? And if so, I'm, who am I to stand in the way of that? Yeah, dress, dress for the job you want, not for the job you have. So if you're first and you're, you're, you're taking active roles and you're not just being assigned, like you're saying, oh, can I, can I do this tonight? Can I do that? Can I prepare something to be said in circle? You know, if, if you're doing those things or you're saying, hey, I've just done some, some research on this aspect of initiatory Wicca, of Alexandrian witchcraft, can I present it to the coven? If you're doing those kind of things, then you're halfway there to kind of like get into second, you know, because I'm speaking from first again. Yeah, for me, if if I see initiate and initiate in the circle taking initiative, then that is one of the big tests for me. That's really good advice, the um, dress for the job you want. Just want to echo that. Yeah. I could not agree more. I think, um, you know, part of this besides saying you know, I feel ready to your coven leadership is also asking and expressing that desire. You know, I'm not saying I'm ready right now, but I want to be clear that I have an eventual goal of moving towards second degree. Can you please give me some concrete sense of tasks, readings, or what you would be looking for so that I am aware of those things? I think I have also seen it where people never, never said that they were looking to ever become a second degree. And and there are covens in which it's very normal for people to go through the degrees, bump, 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 hive and go. There are other covens where people become first and stay at first for a really long time and they're perfectly content to do that. And I think it's it just behooves people, again, with that communication to be honest with leadership about what are your goals and where are you headed. And don't don't wait for them to ask you. Similar, I agree wholeheartedly. Like I cannot wiggle my fingers enough uh, um, in agreement with the idea that like 
demonstrate that you're doing leadership. Do not expect to be elevated simply because you've been there long enough or because you feel like you've brought, you know, you've bought enough tea lights for the coven or whatever. Make sure that you are actually demonstrating, you know, that that you are doing that work. And from the flip side, you know, I also think it doesn't make a lot of sense to hold people back if they have started demonstrating that that responsibility. If they've started really take showing a lot of initiative, then holding people back um, just to to meet qualifications like, well, I think it should be at least three years before second degree or something like that doesn't make a lot of sense. No, like time is is an important factor, but it's not the test of time. It's not you know, you have to be at first degree for at least a year and a day. Like I know, you know, back when Gardner, this 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 might be hearsay as well, but this is, you know, something that's banded around, you know, you waited at least a year and a day. And after the year and a day, then yes, you would get second and or third. But for me, it's not it's not about time. You know, obviously it takes time to learn the work and do the work but if you're learning it and you're doing it and you're showing it then time is irrelevant you know I I say that but then <clears throat> I don't think I would elevate anybody before a year in a day which I, I know kind of nullifies what I just said but for me it's not the test of time it's it's the test of the work and if you're showing the work then who am I to say no because if it's just, oh, you know, I, I, you know, I waited this long. <laughs> if you should wait this long. And I'm like, mm, that, you know, that for me personally, that doesn't, that doesn't sit well with me. Yeah, I suffered. Again, so you have to suffer. Right. Get the work done is, is, is really what it, what it boils down to, but not, not get the work done as a tick list. We're not, we're not ticking off tasks. You know, this isn't like school kind of thing. You know, this is supposed to be, that you're internalizing this work on different levels. You know, if we talk about like the Kabbalah and everything else that goes along with it, if we want to layer that on top of it, there's a lot of work to do, you know, and I'm not going to say that if you're a first and you get elevated to second after six months, that that was a bad decision because that's a decision that your coven leaders will have to stand by. You know, it, it kind of brings me back to the point I said earlier, I want to make sure that I churn out well-taught witches, well-taught initiates that can stand on their own two feet in their own circle, in the coven circle, and in other people's circles. I would say also like enjoy the journey. So not yeah, not like per with regards to your like don't just check things off. If you joined if you if you joined this religion, if you joined a coven with the express purpose of becoming a high priest or high priestess or priestess and running your own coven, like from day one, I just, my worry is that, and that's a fine, like I always knew that I I was going to want to move through the degrees. I always sort of knew that I wasn't going to stay at first degree forever. But, so that's not what I'm saying, but don't get so hung up on where you're going that you don't pay attention to the lessons you're learning along the way and you don't give good time for the journey. A year and a day would be a shockingly short amount of time in my opinion or sorry, less than a year in a day would, would be a very short amount of time between degrees in my, in my opinion, not that, but we know whatever covens do is, is valid. But part of that is because it takes time for this stuff to settle. 
Like it takes time for you to learn. It takes time for you to, to know, to own knowledge and skills and practices. Um, it takes time for things. We talked about like the initiatory um, junk that sort of comes up, right? Shaking your foundations. It takes time to sort of let that all finish shaking out. So I think, yeah, don't get so hung up on where you're going that you can't appreciate all of the changes that you're going through um, somewhere along the way. Yeah, try to enjoy the scenery, I guess. And yeah, it is really easy to get goals oriented, I guess. And if if you treat it as a list of, of checkboxes, that's when you fall into that, that problem of like, all right, now I'm just working on divination, 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 divination. You just do that really intensively. Um, and then once you've ticked that box, like put it down and move on to the next thing, like it needs to be a lot more fluid and natural because you're, my high priest says, when you sign up for Wicca, you're signing up for self-improvement, whether you want to or not. Um, and that's sort of a whole person kind of arrangement. It always has been. So I know it's very common to use the metaphor of walking a path um, to describe spiritual journey. But it's not necessarily always the best analogy, because although it's useful to describe the process of going from point A to B, it negates the fact that you're only at one point on that path at any given time. You're not going anywhere. You're not moving. You're just here. And you may transform and shift and change in accordance with the tendencies that the craft kind of puts out, but you're not going anywhere. It's not, it's not an actual journey. It's just an internal process. That's one singular point that is here where we are at any given time. So that's where you should focus. So I completely agree with what y'all said. All right. So why is running a coven important to us and for the Wicca? I'd like to say that I feel like Gel Garner in a way that I'm worried that the that the craft will die and that it'll be forgotten and that the gods will be forgotten and blah 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 blah. But the real answer is because I like running a coven because I like teaching. I like I like teaching the craft. I love the joy that learning the craft brought me and I wanna pass that on to my initiates and and future the future generations of of initiated Wiccans, you know, it's anybody anybody can can practice Wicca two C's whatever witchcraft paganism, you know. But to practice what we practice, it needs to be passed on. And again, making sure that initiates are properly air quotes because everybody's version of properly differs, you know. Not everybody's 100% is the same as everybody else's 100%, for example. But it's important for me that I can I can pass on that that love of the craft, that enthusiasm, making sure that future initiates are better trained than, than I was, because that's basically the goal, isn't it? We always want to be better than our previous teachers. You know, I, I remember talking uh to one of my lecturers when I was in university about like PhDs and stuff and and he said you know by the time that you get to your PhD you should be teaching your mental things that they don't know about your PhD thesis kind of thing and for me that's also really important I want to make sure that I 
teach in a way that is more effective than possibly my predecessors as well. So I, I, I was thinking the craft, as we all know, is our craft anyway, the Alexandrian craft is a group-based practice. It's a group craft. It's also very hard to be a priest alone. I also feel like I don't have much of a choice in that the God's called. And so looking at, I want to practice the craft, that necessitates a group. I can't really just practice the craft alone because it doesn't work that way. And I didn't necessarily go looking to become a high priest. I didn't chase it down, but it came to the door and I don't think I could not have answered. And so that's, that's me. That's my approach for it. But as for the Wicca as a whole, it's real simple. It's a group-based practice. We need groups for the practice to happen. The whole coven's a vehicle of the craft thing. I feel like that's that pretty much sums it up, right? I mean... I want, I want to change my answer. No, you can't <laughs> change your answer. No takesy-backsies. And your answer was really... I mean, your answer was really strong too, right? We need folks to run covens in order for the Alexandrian tradition to continue, period. If people stopped doing that, then yeah, eventually it would die out. So so that's a necessity. It's practical, but it's also very, very true. And you know, similarly, this is a coven-based practice. I feel like that gets lost a lot in all of the different conversations about like the god and the goddess and energy and witchcraft. But like it's you cannot practice Alexandrian witchcraft without being in a coven. It's it just doesn't work as well, in my opinion. So that's a big piece of it. I think for me, I love what we do. I just absolutely love what we do. I love my craft. I love worshiping the gods. I love our practice. And so I, when I love something, I want to share it with other people. And I like teaching. I just really enjoy sharing information and like learning alongside other human beings. And so for me, running a coven was the best way to do that. And I do think if you've been in a coven for a while, you know, one of two things happens. Either you're very comfortable where you are and what you're doing is fulfilling enough for you in that, in that place, which is great. Or you start to get very itchy and start to feel like this is really great. And, you know, I love my coven leadership, but oh, I really kind of want to try this or like, I really want to do things this way. I really want to. And that's, that's also really normal. And that's, you know, those are the people who end up hiving somewhere down the line to sort of try try and do things their own way because they have a, another idea. We talked about this, I think, in the last episode of last season as well, about why why do it, why be a coven leader. And I seem to recall we all came up to some sort of answer like there was no other choice. Like yes, you yes, feel yes. like this is, this is what you need to do, you know, and I can't, I just want to, I can't stress that enough. I think with all this talk about challenges and what to do when things go wrong, I want to point out like doing magic and working with a coven is one of the best feelings for me. Um, it's beyond great. <laughs> and I think that also gets lost. And as Peter said before, like to sign up to run a coven is to step into the history, the ongoing unrolling history of this tradition. It's a huge responsibility, but it's also so important that it's done well. So with that said, I think we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap up this episode because how do you top, I can't not be in love with Wicca. 
So today we spoke about starting off the coven, membership, and attracting members, teaching and learning, the challenges of running a coven and how we overcome them, why running a coven is important to us and to the Wicca. So thank you for listening. As a reminder, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook as Circle Talk for Witches. That's four, as in the number. X, apparently, formerly known as Twitter. As Circle for Witches, again, the number four. Or email us at circletalkforwitches at gmail.com. If you have any questions, queries, thoughts, or ideas for future discussions, please do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. So from all of us at Circle Talk, Merry Meet, Merry Park, and Merry Meet again.